0: Be honest with people and say that I'm struggling here. I'm finding it a bit difficult. I'm, I'm wobbling. Things have gone wrong, and I'm worried that I'm not doing things correctly. and And they're there to help support you and to give you advice. and You can't do it all on your own, and you can't just be resilient on your own. You need others to help you through that.
1: Welcome to Voice in Education, the podcast. I'm Kathleen Kushney, founder of Voice in Education, a senior leading education trainer and coach. My mission is to help new leaders and teachers aspiring to leadership become confident in their ability to lead others successfully. Whether you're a new or aspiring leader, this podcast will help you to become confident in your ability to lead others successfully. We discuss key themes in education and personal development and how this can impact educational leadership. Let's move that needle from confusion and overwhelm to clarity and inspiration. This Mindset Matters series is sponsored by me. Yes, I am sponsoring myself as I have belief in myself and my services. You have to have the mindset and model this, right? Throughout these great podcast conversations, many have spoken about the importance of asking for help and the positive impact of coaching. We all need guidance to unlock our solutions. Why do it alone? You have your own answers and perhaps just need the key to unlock the door. Self-leadership is the way forward. If you are ready to focus on your growth, to gain clarity so you can progress this year, then let's work together. I offer coaching to suit your needs and in turn, you will feel empowered to become the educator and leader you know you can be. Teaching and leading is challenging, but you never need to feel alone on this journey. Find an ally, a supportive partner. If you want to know more on how we can develop a partnership, visit the coaching section on the Voice in Education website or email me directly, coaching at voice So today I have two dear friends with me. So I have Leslie Hill and Gemma Whitby, and we're going to be talking today about mindset and more specifically growth mindset. So before we start, I'm just going to tell you a bit about them both. So Leslie Hill began her education career as an adult literacy teacher. She has worked as a primary school teacher, education leader, and executive head teacher, and has facilitated and led a range of teaching and leadership training courses. She is the co-author of the book, Fast Feedback, and currently works as a freelance author and trainer. And we also have with us, Gemma Whitby, who has a master's in teaching and learning and has experience as a classroom teacher, middle leader, and senior leader, as well as leading primary science training courses. She is the co-author of the book, Fast Feedback, and is currently sharing the approach with others in her role as an educational consultant for the Ivy Learning Trust. So welcome, ladies, who are also leaders. And to start, I'd love it if you could please share your quotes that resonates with you to do with mindset.
2: Okay, so the quote I've chosen, I had a look for quite a few because, you know, there's so many mindset quotes out there. But one that really resonated with me was one I actually had in my classroom for a lot of years. So it was always there on the wall because I've always quite liked it. But now it seems to resonate with me a bit more as well. So my quote is, it's an Albert Einstein quote, and it says, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. The important thing is not to stop questioning. And I think, yeah, just recently it's, it's resonated with me a lot more, possibly because I've become a mother in the last few years, as well as being a teacher and a leader. But I think it's just, it really got me thinking about starting the day with that positive outlook so it, you know even though yesterday didn't go so well whether it was really challenging behavior in a class or you're delivering training didn't quite go according to plan or maybe your children <laughs> weren't quite you know as you would want them to be um, or anything so just em- embracing that and thinking you know what tomorrow is a new day let's start with a bit of positivity if something didn't work we can try something else find a new solution so yeah so that's kind of why it resonates with me but it, it's also the second part as well that you know, the important thing is to not, not to stop questioning. And I think that's something as we get older, we lose a little bit of, I think, you know, you think about young children have that really natural curiosity about the world around them. They're always asking questions, oh, why, or how does this work? And I think it's something that it's, it's important to keep going as you go through life, questioning things, finding different solutions as a leaders as well, you know, questioning your staff, it's that let staff question you about things and actually being open to hearing different interpretations. And knowing that we don't have all the answers as well. I think it's something as teachers, we tend to think, oh, we need to have all the knowledge. We need to have the wisdom to impart this wisdom upon the children. But actually, we don't have all the answers. You know, everything's constantly changing, evolving. um, And learning is that process as well. So, yeah, so it really resonates with me, that
1: one now. I love the part about not to stop questioning. So I'm really glad that you explained your feelings around that. And Leslie.
0: Okay, um, my quote's quite a short one and it's from Simon Sinek. And I know he's a bit of a guru. Lots of people like to quote Simon Sinek, but I can't get enough of his videos. So I have to, I have to credit him with this quote. And his quote is the great leaders are not the smartest. They are the ones who admit how much they don't know. And it's a short quote, but it's very powerful for me, this quote, because before I grew as a leader, I did think I had to know everything and I was so intent on proving myself. I felt that I was afraid of people thinking I wasn't very clever or that I didn't know stuff, seeing my weaknesses. And I don't think really, it was until I introduced Growth Mindset to Lavender 10 years ago, I actually started realising that actually I don't have to prove myself like that. I don't have to know everything. And I, I think, again, resonating with me, because of my working class poor upbringing and all the hidden self-beliefs I had of myself as because I was poor, I wasn't clever. And we, we can talk maybe more about that later on. And when I introduced Growth Mindset, it was almost like I was then given permission to be an authentic leader. I was given permission to let people see my weaknesses. And I suddenly kind of understood what being a leader would be about and being an authentic leader would be about. And that's recognizing that Part of a leader's job is realizing that you don't know everything. Other people don't know everything and and you build teams. Your job is to build teams that collaborate, that work together, that support each other, um, that have different skill sets. So I think, yeah, that, that resonates a lot with me because it changed me. Growth mindset changed me to understand that I could be a leader without knowing everything
1: so interesting so powerful that it took growth not that it took growth mindset to change you but as you introduced that you grew along the whole journey of implementing it into school and as we're talking about growth mindset then and you know you and you said you know we can talk about it a bit later can you tell us about your role and growth mindset and how those kind of relate to one another throughout your career as,
0: as I said in that you know and quoting the Simon Sinek bit it's It enables you, it enables you to, to realize that you don't have to be perfect. And I think we, we spout the words of growth mindset and resilience and teaching children that, but we don't necessarily always follow by example. We don't always have that growth mindset. For example, I was terrified about doing this. (laughs) I was quite worried about doing a podcast supposing I come across as silly and even though you know I'd say to myself okay you don't have to know everything I think as adults we've grown we've grown up with without that training in growth mindset and resilience and we've grown up maybe not having the growth mindset approach that we might preach to our children. And to other leaders and to others. I don't know if you agree with that, Jamal. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I
2: I think, no, absolutely. I think it's something that, you know, we do teach the children and we could refer to it, and, you know, we've got our motivational displays, and I think. And it has to be, you know, if you're going to do it with the children, it has to be a whole school, whole community effort really, doesn't it? It can't just be a case of I'm going to do my growth mindset lesson at the beginning of the year and that's it done. It needs to be, it needs to be modeled to the children. It needs to be referred to regularly. It needs to be something that the whole school, the lunch staff, you know, all the head teachers, any assembly, everybody's referring to, everybody's using phrases that that, that really promote that growth mindset. But like Leslie said, it's it's much easier said than done. And especially as adults now, you know, I find myself saying things <laughs> in front of my children. I'm thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't say that because, you know, I, I, for example, I find driving a challenge and I really dislike it. And I thought, you know, once I get back in the saddle and I start driving again after 10 years of not driving, I'll be fine. And I wasn't. I still find it a challenge and I avoid it at every cost. And I think that it, it is something that can be a real challenge because, no, you know, that fear comes over you. I think you get a lot more of that as you get older. And I think nobody really likes to fail, do they? No one likes to criticize everyone, with, you know, if you get that praise. Even as an adult, we love the praise, love the positivity. Everyone thrives upon that. And even though we know, oh, we need to embrace the challenges, we need to take risks, we need to, you know, learn from failure, we, we say it. But do we actually do it? And I think that's something that as adults we need to work on. And like Leslie said, perhaps it is to do with, you know, like the whole nature-nurture debate, but perhaps it is to do with the way we were brought up by, you know, parents also a big factor as well, grandparents, everybody in the community. And in schools, it wasn't really a part of the curriculum. It wasn't something that we tended to hear about until quite a short while ago. So, yeah, I think all kind of comes in together, doesn't it? Kind of frame who you are. And, and and actually as an adult, is it harder to learn how to have that growth mindset?
1: Than, harder than perhaps when you were a child. So yeah, it's very interesting. Mm, absolutely. And I think what you're saying about is it's harder to do as an adult because young children have that kind of natural go get it attitude, don't they? They just want to try and, or, you know, try and prove that they can do that, that kind of competition kind of element within them. And they have a natural, most children actually have a natural inborn resilience, tolerance level within themselves. Whereas adults, if we have, um, you know, inverted commas around it, failed, then we were less likely want to try again because we don't want that feeling that um, we feel when we have failure, which isn't really failure as we teach. So we really do need to practice <laughs> what we um, <laughs> preach. So can you tell us a bit more about your educational journey then? So in terms of what you, you're doing now, you haven't always been co-authors. So, how did you arrive at being co authors of your fantastic book, Fast Feedback?
0: Okay. So, (laughs) yeah, we were asked, well, it was suggested at one of the fast feedback conferences that we were doing that I write a book about it to capture what was happening. And I think also to stave off some of the competition, perhaps. Anyway, I, I thought, yes, I'd love to write a book. I've always wanted to be a writer. And uh, my journey of writing the book started literally on a journey. I was on my way to holiday in France and I had this really romantic idea that I'd be sitting there, I was sitting there on the train writing this book, you know, like a real author. And the thing is, I knew as I was writing it that I had to include some theory. I had to have back it up with a theory that we'd used to introduce fast feedback at Lavender all those years ago. And I knew that I could do that, but I wanted to write a story. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a kid's book. I wanted to write a novel. I didn't want to sit there writing theory, um, Yeah, I knew I needed it. And this is interesting, actually, because I was thinking about this journey, and the word that sprung to mind was the passion. I had this passion to write a book, and that's why I wanted to do it. Because I really wanted to get this book done, I knew I needed Gemma basically because I needed someone who would be able to do that with a passion and I wouldn't be bogged down with the theory bit because I didn't want to do it. And it's interesting when you talk about growth mindset and resilience and working hard and achieving, I knew that I could do that if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. And I think that's a key point as, as leaders and, and as we grow in our careers, um, some things you just don't want to do. You don't have to. Be good at everything and try to be good at everything. Some things you just choose to to want to do. So I'll go to Gemma who, without Gemma doing this with me, the book wouldn't have happened, I promise, because I didn't have a passion for doing the theory bits. So over to Gemma. I think it was really
2: interesting when we had that conversation. Remember we were in the car and we were talking about it and you just saying, oh, I'm really interested in story writing and I really want to tell the story. And I was you're like, but that, I don't want to do any of the about the theory. And I was like, I love the theory part. <laughs> I, was like, I, I think for me, I find, and well, we've spoken about this, but I find um, the personal writing, talking about yourself and talking about your own journey that you've been on and that, that kind of storytelling ability isn't really One of my strengths, whereas I quite like looking at all the research, you know, exploring a bit of John Hattie and and Carol Dweck and all those really, really influential people that kind of, you know, shape the way you teach. And I think that that was the part that really interested me, like filtering through all the thinking about, well, what's really useful for our approach? What, What kind of we base this approach around? What are those theorists that underpin it and the pedagogy that underpins the approach? That was something I was quite passionate about and I found it very interesting on the way because I I believe it kind of helped me to shape my teaching as well. So yeah, so it is interesting how we kind of got our strengths. But we did we'd work together though, didn't we, Leslie, as well. We
0: Absolutely.
2: We had a lot of discussions about things and I was giving Leslie feedback and you were giving me feedback. And I think that Kind of working collaboratively, learning from each other was something we found that, that really helped to make the journey a lot easier. And and actually, we, we said we both really enjoyed it as well. We had some brilliant editors as well who, you know, kept in touch and were really good at kind of giving you that praise that you kind of need, That but also the constructive criticism. So I think that they really helped our journey as well, that without, you know, you kind of, okay, that, that's a really good point, actually, but just the way they phrased that feedback I suppose just as you would if you would, you know, watch doing a lesson observation or you know, things like that, just phrasing in a different way. So it's constructive. I think that you could take on board, you could take risks, you could you could try things out and you felt comfortable in that kind of safe space to do so. So, yeah, it was something I really enjoyed.
0: Oh, fantastic. Yeah. It, it was absolutely brilliant working with yeah. Gemma, I have to say. And, <laughs> and it really was a collaboration, you know, and the feedback I got on the story part of it was just so valuable. And then I think, well, maybe we need a little bit more about this, or I found this great quote we can put into the, the questioning bit. And it was it was a collaboration. We worked together, and and I think there's that's what came into it was that trust as well. I knew I could trust Gemma to be honest with me about my writing and what it needed. And beautifully done, I must say, some some wonderful feedback, and and I really learned a lot about writing a story and entertaining, which is what I really wanted to do: entertain people with this book. Um, and I learned a lot. So thank you, Gemma. And it was quite scary when we got the editors when we were like, right, you're you're. Book is going to this editor who will give you feedback and and I think we both felt quite worried. Oh my goodness! Like are they going to make us change everything? And that was quite quite a scary. We had to have a really growth mindset there and be really resilient. But as Gemma said, they were wonderful at, at Bloomsbury. Wonderful editors, really supportive and. And we learn a lot from them. So. And I
2: think a lot of it comes down to, as well, you know, we were trying something new. Neither of us had written a book before. We hadn't really known what the process was going to be. It was kind of taking that plunge. And for that, you, you did have to have the right mindset as well, didn't you? Just that, that ability to think, oh, we've taken a bit of a risk here. This might not work out. It might not go very well. Or what if we don't get good feedback? And all of those sort of ideas coming through your head. But I think, you know, I mean, for me, my, part of my reason for being involved in it is, like, obviously, it felt like a really good opportunity and very, very interesting. But actually, I think having once I'd left Enfield, we've actually moved away to be close to family, and going back to a marking school and just seeing the impact it has, taking up my weekends again, you know, thinking about my evenings gone and not being able to spend time with my children and my family, I just felt a lot more passionate about actually this. This needs to happen now. If I can do anything to help other teachers in the country and keep teachers in the profession as well, because we're losing so many, that was something that really, really made me think as well. So.
0: And that, that reminds me of my, the favorite quote that I used in the book was the quote from Gemma, who actually said, you know, I can't commit to helping with this book until the summer holiday. And, and that kind of punctuates really the, the importance of, of this, this book, you know, to help teachers gain a life and to help children learn better. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think
2: for me, it, it didn't really come at the best time in my life because well obviously we just moved and then um, I was working in the school so obviously I committed to doing the holidays but I was then eight months pregnant with my second child and obviously trying to do childcare and everything around it but yeah like like we said that collaboration that support from each other you know it was it was actually really a very enjoyable process so
1: Mm. yeah (laughs) you know, as you were talking, you mentioned three words actually stood out for me that you, you mentioned quite a lot. So you mentioned collaboration, obviously collaboration being the main thing between you two. But Leslie, you did say that, you know, as a leader, you really, it's, it's important to kind of recognize what your strengths are. And, you know, where you can seek help. And first of all, just seeking the help in the first pl- place that, you know, you have to be commended for because a lot of people don't. So the fact that you did that in the first place was great. But there was trust there as well. So you mentioned trust. So you trusted Gemma to, to work with. But also I would say that equally you both trusted yourselves to step up yeah. and and, you know, go forward with writing the book, which in itself is modelling growth mindset.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that... That trust in yourself. And I've been thinking quite a lot about having belief in yourself. And I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the quote and my upbringing coming from a poor working class family and not having that belief in myself that I could be something – I, I remembered I did a lot of thinking back to when I was a child and I first wanted to go to college to be an interior designer and coming from a, a poor family, as I say, my mum was horrified because I'd left school as soon as I could. I went to work, but then I wanted to leave work and go to college. and And she made it work because I think she saw the passion in me. I wanted to do it and she saw that passion. So she made it work financially for me. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I even thought, that I thought I could go to university, that I could, that I wanted to be a teacher and I thought I can go to university. And even then going for my interview to join a university was very, very scary and very alien because we weren't expected to go to do A levels, let alone go to university. But gradually that self belief, it, it started to come through to me and I started to believe, yes, I can do this. I can be that. I can be a leader of a school. I can be a head teacher. I can be an executive leader, but it's a long journey. And I think for children, it's not just about teaching them a growth mindset. It is about helping them have that self-belief, helping them to have the passion, but also the belief that they can be anything. And there are so many hidden, ingrained expectations that we have or don't have of children. And I think it's really important for teachers and leaders to examine those um, examine themselves and make sure they're not harboring these prejudices or these low expectations, not even realizing they have them and examine themselves, as you say, Kathleen, to, to have that self-belief, but to to examine yourself, to make sure you do have that. And if you don't, why? And address it, challenge it.
1: Absolutely. And that kind of rings true in terms of taking risks as well. You know, they go hand in hand, don't they? You know, you have to kind of have the self belief in order to take the risk. Yeah. And, you know, writing a book is, it's a big challenge, you know. Big, big challenge. And it, it, and it was That'd a risk. Exciting. Yeah, exciting <laughs> one. But it was a risk having people read your work, getting the feedback, all of that. You have to kind of open yourself for, you know, whatever's to come. So yeah, the collaboration, trust and risk. And I just want to you kind of spoken about collaboration already, but I just want to kind of bring that together, really. What does the collaboration or the word collaboration actually mean to you both? Because it is quite an important value and I think sometimes it's underrated. Um, So can you speak to that as to what what it means to you both?
2: I, I think for me, it's like you said before, you know, knowing when to seek support, knowing when actually two heads is better than one. We use that phrase a lot, but actually learning from each other and that can be quite a challenge and this is something that really resonated with me when i was writing the book is just thinking about how important for the fast feedback approach for example how important collaboration is and it's something with the children that we really need to work on because it's not something that comes naturally it's some children love learning from each other but we're talking here it's like for example when we do um, reviewing each other's work so children working cooperatively together to do that and with a cooperative review, it's where you look at one piece of work together. We discuss it. It's a, very much a discussion, but the child has ownership over the comments. They write in their own book. Nobody else writes in their book. And if they disagree with each other, they can seek the teacher support as part of a conference to help move the learning forward and reach a decision. It's very much not just swapping books and marking each other. So that's not really collaborative. So I think it's about experimenting with different strategies, You know, looking at what other people have done, even if you've already got a way that already works for you. And, and, you know, for example, I found in maths lessons, if you've got a child who's working at greater depth, they're thinking, well, this is the way that works for me. This is the way my mum does it at home. This is, you know, get the answer right. But actually, have they got that conceptual understanding? Do they think about, well, this is another way, another child has solved it differently. Perhaps their way might be a bit more efficient than mine or a bit quicker. So experimenting those strategies and um, working together and actually realising, well, actually, this is quite a challenge. We can solve this collaboratively. and That's something I've always quite enjoyed. You know, you, you set those children off to a challenge. They really get into it. The bell goes, but they don't want to go outside. They want to finish it. And I think collaboration can really help support that learning from each other. Mm.
1: Yeah. Can I just probe you a little bit further on that? Yeah. So you've spoken about how that works as a teacher with pupils. I'm wondering how that plays out in your leadership. I think
2: for me, I've always been somebody who very much values collaboration. So I think, you know, I wouldn't, I don't really like being set off to a task and say, right, Gemma, you go into this. I always like to seek a little bit of advice or a little bit of reassurance, I suppose, as well, that you're on the right path. And I guess it's not so much about seeking praise from somebody or someone going, oh, well, wow, you're doing a great job. It's more just making sure that you are on the right track, taking ideas from others you know, amalgamating it together into something that actually works. And like I said, working with Leslie was brilliant because I think we both have our own strengths and that you could come at, when we're looking at the book, for example, Leslie was coming very much from a, a leader's perspective because you were really involved in rolling out the approach across the school in terms of the learning walks, whereas I was involved in the trial process as a teacher. So, and, and that was really positive because when we were talking about rolling it out across school and how we were going to embed it effectively, we had lots of meetings together with myself and another teacher who was also trialing the approach so that we were actually involved in that process. And I think that really then helped to, to spark that change across the school because we could really talk from a teacher's perspective. Yes, it works. This has been really effective. We've tried this. This didn't work. We tried something else. Oh, you had a really good idea. So perhaps we could use that, but then maybe we could use my idea for this part. So I think collaboration, I think, is absolutely vital, especially when thinking about growth mindset and, and working together effectively. Absolutely.
0: And also, collaboration is fun. <laughs> so um- you know, and I, I was thinking about during lockdown, um, one of the most collaborative activities I did was doing jigsaw puzzles with my daughter-in-law. <laughs> and we collaborated, we worked together, but we, we had fun. And I think. In schools, it can be the same. I think it's so easy to to sort of get bogged down with the the jobs that you have to do and the tasks that you have to complete that it can be very easy to forget to actually have fun and enjoy what you're passionate about. And it is when you've got a shared passion, as Gemma said, we we both were coming from it from different angles, but the passion was there to introduce this amazing fast feedback, <laughs> this amazing approach to other teachers and and to other schools so the passion was there and we had fun doing it we enjoyed doing it so yeah I, I think that's important as you were asking Kathleen about teachers and leaders collaboration I think also means sharing your passions and like enabling your passion to be enjoyed by others as well so that I mean that it kind of brings me on to talking about change because I wanted to think about change as well. And when you introduce change, how important it is to to get your passion across, to get your message across, so that when you're collaborating with the whole school team to introduce something like fast feedback, everyone's excited about it, everyone's passionate about it, everyone sees the value of something. And uh, yeah, so from a leader's perspective, I think that's really important to share your passion and to enjoy it, mm-hmm. enjoy it,
1: <laughs> enjoy the work. <laughs> And you kind of touched on change and, you know, as leaders, some, I know a lot of leaders find that quite challenging. It can be an obstacle for leaders. So can you speak about how you navigated that as a leader, Leslie? How did you, how did you go about, you know, bringing this in in the schools?
0: I think, I think again, I, I come back to passion and I think one of the key things for leaders is don't change for the sake of change change because you have a reason, because you're, you're passionate about something and you can see value in it. And it's about change, not overload. And I have worked in situations where um, some leaders wanted to change things quite regularly, quite often, and they can become quite stressful. So the key thing, I think, as a leader for introducing change is to know that it's going to be really valuable and to get your teams the whole teams to see why it's valuable and I hate to go on about John Cotto I was going about this penguin book but <laughs> if you haven't read our iceberg is melting then you have to it literally is a laugh out loud book <laughs> I sat and read it on a train once and was giggling all the way <laughs> to Street. on a book about the-, the theory of change I mean that in itself is worth mentioning um But it is about getting people on board, getting penguins on board. I know I quote that in the book, getting them to see that there's a need for change. And I think that's, What we tried to do, because it wasn't just me introducing fast feedback at at Lavender, it was about the whole team seeing the reason for it. I think everyone knew that there was a reason because teachers were leaving the profession and we couldn't get teachers. Um, But also (coughs) Gemma's trial, and Gemma trialed it with another teacher in year two, but the trial made the change valid because it had been tested and tried in the classroom and that, that was a key part of it. You don't just do change for the sake of it. You make sure that it's going to work. It's a very gradual process. And I think Gemma and, and Nicola, who trialled it with her, you sold it to the staff. I, I you think sold that's the that's change. The yeah, I,
2: mean, I think, you know, in terms of fast feedback is a huge change. Like it, it's it's completely going against tradition and changing everything you've learned about education. That marking is the way. It's focusing more on feedback instead and doing it in a much more efficient and more effective way. But it's how you... you get everyone to see that and to see the way way you're thinking. I think, like like Leslie said, the trial was very important because it gains that support. It helps build the relationships. It comes back to that collaboration as well. Um, You've got to have that clear strategy, but you also need to have the time. You need to invest into it as well and give people time to come around to it. And I think that's why we dedicate a whole chapter in the book to managing change effectively, because it's one thing to have the idea, but to roll it out across the school and get everyone on board is a much bigger challenge. Um, And I think... You know, you have to be, as a leader, you have to be very transparent. You have to be very willing to adapt. You've got to be willing to accept criticism because people are going to come back and be a bit, oh, I'm not really keen on this. Not everybody's going to be like, yeah, brilliant, something new to change because it sounds like hard work, doesn't it, when you think about bringing something new into school. Um, and I think you've really got to just be honest and open, not take it personally, and actually be open to learning off others as well. If people are going to ask questions, then that's a really good thing because, you know, like I said in my quote earlier, Asking questions the a way of getting, thinking about, about new ways of solving something and solving it together, having a staff meeting where everybody is you know, offering their opinions, asking those questions. And I think, yeah, having that learning friendly culture, just like we really promote creating in our classrooms, but having that learning friendly culture in your whole school where everybody's on board, everybody's involved. And I think that's the thing. And, and I think one of the things to managing a change and implementing a change is that kind of fear that holds you back. You've really got to have that growth mindset as well, because if you you worry about, oh, you know, what, they're not going to take it on board or, you know, it's actually give them a chance. They might do as long as it's sold in the right way. You get teachers on, on board, you build those relationships, you get them to sell the approach because they've they've tried it, they've tested it, it works. And that way, I think you're you really helping to get everybody Following what you what you want them to, so yes, I think implemented change is a really big thing, and I think that that's like I said, that's why we devoted a whole chapter to it. And I think one of the things that Leslie does in the book really well is that when she talks about the story, we we talk about all of the mistakes we made, we talk about all the things that went wrong. You know, resources not being ordered, the green pens, Leslie, <laughs> which is such a big thing. <laughs> um, and I think that you know all of these things come into it as well. It's why it's very important to be honest, to be open with everybody, and and to talk about the pitfalls as well as its successes as well.
0: So. But yeah, that that key is. I mean, you use the word follow a lot there, Gemma, and it is about getting followers on board. Uh, there's a great video called "Lessons from a Dancing Guy: Lessons on on Leadership from a Dancing Guy." It's on YouTube. There's a few versions of it, and it's very funny. It's worth a watch. But it's it is about getting followers, and and it's not the leader that's important. That's the message that comes across there. The leader does something or or wants this change but it's the followers that are important because it's the followers that will get other people on board and make other people not afraid to to join in with that change and, and to get the momentum of the change happening
1: you guys have really explained it well you know just how well all of it comes together really the growth mindset the collaboration and you know teamwork the leadership skills and kind of what you've described really Gemma when you was talking about, you know, being open and transparent it's just that authentic leadership. So, you know, that's, you were doing that as you were writing the book, both of you, but Leslie, you actually wrote about it quite openly in the book. So I would say just as now, as a plug to go and read the book, because it is really interesting to see the balance of Of both, you know, so you you get a feel for, you were, you kind of took us along the journey. And like you say, then Gemma added in the, the bits as to why it's important, but it's it's a, it's a nice way that you've written the book, actually. It works really, really well. And just as you, you're talking about, you know, the followers, bringing people on board and motivating people, how easy, for want of a better word, how easy was it to kind of practice what you were preaching? How easy was it to get people on board and keep them on board? Because sometimes you can get them on board, yeah, with the passion, but it's keeping them there, isn't it? So let's, let's talk about that bit, actually, because lots of people can get people on board, share the vision, get everyone excited. Majority can come along. But how did you keep people there?
0: Yeah, you have to keep revisiting with with any change, any any anything that you introduce within a school. You have to keep revis, revisiting, and I mention this in the book because it's very easy. Everyone's got their displays out, their growth mindset display. Everyone's doing learning to learn, and then you've got some new teachers starting in September, and you have to keep revisiting those things. You have to hold separate little insets for them to get them on board. And I think there have been so many situations in the past where, well, there's the policy. Have a look at the policy. It means nothing to that new teacher or that early career teacher that's just joined. The policy doesn't mean anything. They've got to, you've, they've got to have the same training that all the other staff have had. They've got to have the follow-up. They've got to see it in action. And I think that's how to keep it going. And as a leader, that's a, a key lesson. Don't forget all those new people that join. And keep all the staff on board, not just teachers, support staff, and make sure the parents are trained in what's what's happening, hold growth mindset training for parents and, and carers, and just get the whole community on board. And that keeps it alive. That keeps it fresh, keeps it going. Um, I think it's it's really important to
2: to really listen to the people who are implementing it fast feedback day to day in practice because we've had quite a few staff meetings where people would kind of bring a pop- problem and say this really wasn't working and then we sort of all worked together going around the room with post-it notes and, and finding solutions to that like collaboratively again and I think that really really helped as well because you're always going to especially when you start something new hasn't really been done in that many places the same way that we were doing our journey is quite different to others and I think that when, when you are trying, it, you need to listen to people. You need to be honest and open to those ideas and, and learn from each other because, for example, what might work in a year one classroom doesn't really work in year six and vice versa. So it's about finding strategies. We had to think about things to do with spelling. How was that going to work? How was homework going to work? And like Leslie said, getting the parents on board as well. We needed to communicate really effectively with them so they knew exactly what we were doing and why we were doing it. And that's the key, I suppose, isn't it? It's that why. What What's the impact? And I think, you know, being part of the trial was quite a privilege for me, really, because I could see from someone who was probably a bit reluctant at first, I think, you know, myself and the other person chosen were were quite heavy markers. We were very used to marking. And I think we were probably picked partly because of that, so that we would never... You were. (laughs) A little bit of a challenge. But I think that, you know, it was was quite good to be given that term to kind of work it out, find the barriers, think about what was working, what wasn't working, and to really see the benefits for ourselves, because then we could actually... Give a staff meeting to staff and say, you know what, this really works. We have trialed it, we've tested it, we saw the progress, we saw the, you know, the impact on our workload as well. Which at first, you know, did take some getting used to. Like you say, you need to give it that time to really unravel and see how it works, get really into the swing of things. Because at first, you know, my notes were just as long as it would be sitting there marking ninety books in the end of the day, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, you've got to try it. You've got to keep uh, working on it. You've got to find what the barriers are, find solutions, and work together to really resolve it.
0: And, and don't be afraid when things go wrong. It's, it's as Gemma said earlier, about not not being afraid because when you introduce a big change, any sort of change into a school, things might go wrong and you might have to change your mind actually and we need to go on a different direction. I think that's, that's a key message for any leaders out there. Don't be afraid of changing what you've just changed and following a better path.
2: And I think on the back
0: of that, just um, because
2: I've done a bit of training recently and doing conferences and we get questions. And, and, you know, one of the interesting ones we had was someone said, well, this all sounds brilliant. The evidence is there. We can see the impact. But why why isn't every school doing it if it's so good? And I think I I was trying to think about this. Like, what's the answer to that question? I'm, I'm sure there are lots of different factors why people aren't doing it. But I think fear is probably one of those and not having that Kind of growth mindset just to go for it to take the risk because it is such a big change you know there's there was earlier in the year a lot of miscommunication in the media the quotes to talk about like it being very woke and very work shy and teachers being afraid or teachers not marking pupils' works and parents getting upset about that but I think the the difference here is it's not about just not marking work this is about replacing it with something that's a lot a lot better for the children, a lot better for teachers so I think it's, yeah, there's a lot of different factors, but fear is a big one. It can really hold people back from kind of, I don't want to say meeting their potential, but going for something that they really think could work really well because they're just a bit unsure about whether it's really going to be worth the risk. And I think sometimes you've just got to go for it, haven't you? Mm,
1: absolutely. In fact, you say we say sometimes you've just got to go for it. I think we just need to go for it. <laughs> we just <laughs> need to go for it, whatever that it is. And sometimes the it can be small steps, you know, small steps in order to get to wherever it is we want to go. And just thinking about you guys as leaders then, so you're both leaders in your own right. What role would you say, so just thinking about this a bit wider than the book, what role has resilience played in your leadership? would you say
0: Wow, well, yeah, um there's quite a few you know as a leader you you're you feel quite exposed, certainly as a head teacher, you're very exposed, you're judged by. You're judged by everyone, really. You're judged by your, your team, um your you know, the staff within your school, you're judged by the parents and you feel very vulnerable, I think. And it's hard. For example, when um, a school I was at was becoming an academy, there was a lot of judgment from the parents there, and with social media being as it is, it was it was quite a scary and a very difficult time, and I had to draw on every little ounce of resilience that I could you know, to to get through that period, to not listen to what people might be suggesting and so on. And I I think that's the key thing. You have to be resilient because you're quite vulnerable then. And it's about self-belief. We come back to that. It's about the passion you have, holding on to the passion that you've got and the belief in what you're doing is right. That's where resilience comes in. I think holding on to those those beliefs Hmm. and that passion.
1: Thanks thanks for sharing that and so and being so open there.
0: What about you? And I, I have to
1: say just
2: just for me like you know having that resilience and being able to recover very quickly when things don't go according to plan that is something I find quite challenging. And I think it's it's not about not you know not having to experience failure because I think everyone has haven't they at times in their life but I think it, it does so you have to make sure you know like, like I said in the quote earlier kind of seize sees the day tomorrow's a new day it's a positive start see it's a positive think about how you can overcome it find a solution and just go for it and I think it, it is a challenge it, it's it's thinking about you know the book I and mean, lots of other things but you think well actually I know what a difference this can make to teachers and I know what a difference it can make to the pupils and if I think I'm right I'm just going to follow the path go for it and, and just try and have that you know think about any barriers that come, I'll face them, we'll try something, if it doesn't work, we'll question it, we'll try something different. Yeah, it is a challenge, it's a big challenge.
0: And and importantly, um, you don't have to be resilient on your own, you're part of a team and it's back to that collaboration, so, you know, whatever, things are stopping you, Ever things are, are giving you those low feelings and, and you're feeling vulnerable, you've got a team around you, you've got friends around you within school and it's really important to draw on that and be honest with people and say that I'm struggling here, I'm finding it a little bit difficult, I'm, I'm wobbling things have gone wrong and I'm worried that I'm not going doing things correctly and and they're there to help support you and to give you advice and you can't do it all on your own and you can't just be resilient on your own you need others to help you through that Mm. I
1: think really important point there in fact I I think I'll pull that one out later so that's a really important point in terms of resilience because I don't think many people think of resilience in that way they kind of you kind of think of like plowing through just keep going Whereas, you know, resilience can involve others too. So yeah, thanks for highlighting that. And I just want to dig a bit deeper because we're talking about growth, growth mindset. And, you know, you can have a growth mindset, but you can't, you can't pretend that you, can, you don't <laughs> fall back into the fixed mindset. It happens, right? So just thinking about yourselves, I'm just wondering what is the one conversation that you've had or instigated even that has changed your career? So if you think about growth mindset or whether it may be fixed mindset, but what's that one conversation that you've had that you've, you've kind of reflected on and thought, yeah, that's really made a change in my leadership or my career.
0: Hmm. It wasn't a conversation between about me with someone, but it's a conversation that brought something home to me. And it was before I was a leader. Um, and someone had said, and I talked earlier about expectation and and hidden ingrained prejudices about expectation of of intelligence or ability or whatever and someone had said something about a child from a a working class background and the conversation was about oh you know they they had those internal prejudices and I just remember saying he's poor not stupid I hate the word stupid but The idea I felt this child, just because he's poor, doesn't mean that that child's not able to go on and become whatever that child is passionate about becoming. And it wasn't until I actually said that that I started thinking about myself. And, you know, relating back to the Simon Sinek quote, I was poor, but it doesn't mean I can't achieve and I can't be somebody in life. So, yeah, it wasn't a conversation between us. It was more something I said to someone else that enlightened
1: me in my own mind. Yeah. Yeah. The links, you know, this, uh, it always just what you've just said there, Leslie. So it always, always bothers me. And I think cause I can talk about it. <laughs> this is a podcast. It always does bother me where people link the two. Like if you haven't, you're not financially secure for some reason, yeah. that has some di- direct correlation to your intellect. I don't, yeah. I've never understood the link. But we tend no. to do that a lot in education, don't we? Like, there's some that there is a link. There, there isn't. Well, I mean, where no. where examples? I'll speak for. I don't know about you, Gemma, but I'll speak from my personal background as well. I don't, I don't understand why they think that pupil premium mm. that they're they instantly you think that they're not going to be able to achieve, and so so yeah, much is put yeah. in place. That's,
0: and um, it, it might be about opportunities mm. for those children given the 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 opportunities other more wealthy children might have. But it's it's very deep. It's very ingrained all this. And it's even, I was reading something earlier because on the news last night, they're actually talking about someone who's calling for class to be a protected characteristic, which I've found quite amazing. <laughs> and I was reading something about that and they were talking about it being so deep, even related to accent. Now, this is interesting because when I grew up in my poor council estate I talked like that (laughs) and I worked really hard to stop talking like that because I thought I wouldn't get on and I remember when I went to college the first time and there was a a friend there I went to work in some posh shop in Barbican and my friend phoned me and I was speaking to him on the phone he went why are you talking all posh (laughs) and and I suddenly realized oh my goodness I'm trying to change who I am and I got really confused about who I was but yeah this whole idea that that class is linked to intelligence, mm. it's, I don't know where it comes from. Mm. I don't know. That's kind of what it, it needs addressing.
2: Fixed, yeah, there's fixed ideas about intelligence. It's, it all links back to that growth mindset as well, doesn't it? And yeah. You know, the kind of stereotypes that come from that and then that that kind of impacts on the teacher's expectations, which again impacts on the child. And I think, yeah, it's like kind of a vicious cycle really, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And, it, and that's the word for it. It really is vicious because it, it's, it's, it's just entangled with stereotypes you know, and it, you know, I I understand the part about opportunities, but you don't have to have money to create opportunities. And even that in itself, you kind of think, well, you know, they may not have access to opportunities, but you don't always have to pay for experiences. And I think sometimes we, how, as how society views things is, is what's getting skewed in in terms of the relationship to um, intelligence. So anyway, that same question to you, Gemma. What conversation that you've had has instigated such a uh, huge impact in your career or leadership?
2: It's a very hard question.
1: A challenging question. Yeah,
2: very challenging. <laughs> I'll accept the challenge. <laughs> I, I mean, I think for me, it, uh, there have been lots of different conversations that have impacted, you know, seeing amazing teachers, talking to amazing teachers and learning from them. And like, Obviously, we talked a lot about learning collaboratively, but I think it's, you know, it's when you have. That's a very simple question like, you know, someone will say to you, what is it that you want to do? And it's sometimes we kind of don't really give ourselves a chance to kind of stop and reflect on what, what do I actually want to do with my career? What do I actually want to be? What do I actually want to do in terms of, you know, the path I want to follow? And I think that's why this opportunity coming along for me, that kind of being able to not just working in a classroom and supporting the children, but actually being able to have an impact on leaders and teachers across the country. You know, we've done a lot of talks at conferences. We've done some bespoke training for school, which I've really enjoyed. And just knowing that you're having an impact on, Kind of helping the wider teaching world rather than just working in your own setting. I think that's been something that's been quite made me feel you know quite you know sparked my passion a bit more, but actually made me feel quite good about the way where the career is going. So I think you know and again it comes back to my quote that I said earlier. It's about kind of living for today, you know, rather than thinking about what about the next year, what I'm going to do in the future, but. But actually thinking, well, I'm enjoying this right now. I'm enjoying being able to support other teachers. I'm enjoying to help schools, to, you know, to keep teachers in the profession as well, to raise people outcomes. And you know, someone says to you, "That was really, really useful today." That was that is really, you know, really useful training. I can take that on board. It's really interesting. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel quite good about yourself. I think actually, I'm, I'm really helping support other people. So I think sometimes it doesn't have to be a long conversation. It doesn't have to be you know particular words of wisdom, but just a simple question that makes you actually reflect on yourself and where you are in your career and where you want to be.
1: I think that sometimes, yeah, sometimes that. can have the biggest impact and the question was in case people want to reflect later so what is it that you really want to do because you're right not many people actually think about it what almost like it forces you back behind the steering, yeah. steering wheel isn't
2: it oh well you do matter as a person it's not always about what everybody else wants for you or you know about your family but sometimes what do you actually want to do at the moment at this present moment in time What is it you want to do How, where do you want your career to be and I think sometimes we have to
0: stop and question that do you know what? I think, I think that's lovely because um, it, it makes me think again about the passion. What are you passionate about at the moment? And I think our job as educators is to give children so many opportunities that they may ha- they may be taught to have a growth mindset. They'll be given the skills of effective learning and so on. But really, it's ultimately what is going to be their passion. And if they've not had those opportunities to understand that they can follow any passion they've got, Um, and become what they want to be then then we're kind of letting them down really we can teach them all the basics but it's opening them them up to all those passions out there all those things that they can be
2: and i think yeah on the back of that sort of providing them wider experiences as well and if they sound really interested in this it's making sure that you are allowing opportunities to learn in lots of different ways lots of different strategies in your classroom following their interests
1: anything that can really help inspire them and become become what they want to be yeah Mm. And on the subject of feedback, what's the best feedback that you've received and what impact did it have on you? So much feedback. (laughs) So much feedback over my
0: career. Um, I can only remember the, the most recent bit of feedback that has affected me, which was from the editor, actually, when we were writing the book. And one of our editors said that, you should write comedy you're very funny <laughs> and that, that I mean it was wonderful a wonderful bit of feedback because that's what I well I was actually writing a murder mystery at the time and then I had to think about how to make it funny um but yeah it's it's amazing we're getting feedback all the time aren't we even just from someone's reaction to when we're talking their their, their gesture their facial expression it's all feedback and it all makes you think about oh how did I present myself and so, yeah, I'd, I've, I've had too much feedback over the years to go back over all that. <laughs> I'll, I'll hand
2: over to you, John. <laughs> i was say i an interesting one, but it's not so much what some, someone people say to you, but sometimes it's body language as well, because yeah. when, I, when I've been delivering training, and obviously this is something that I haven't been doing that long, and, you know, supporting other people going to speak at conferences and events, and it's, you know, obviously after having quite a bit of time off with my young children, coming back into this, it is a bit of a challenge, and it is... It's scary at first going up and getting up to front of lots of people. But I think feedback in that sense, for me, the, the best feedback I can get is somebody nodding along or looking like they're really interested. And, you know, that that can give you just as much as kind of a positive comment or a bit of praise or anything like that, because it shows they're on the same wavelength as you. What you're saying is resonating with them as well. And I think sometimes that's all you need, really. For example, if someone comes in to observe a lesson that you're doing, you know, having a little bit of a smile or a nod along or just that impassive face even can just go quite a long way to helping you sort of loosen up, be calm and just tell, tell what you came here to tell. So, so, yeah, I think that for me, I think it has a big impact rather than just words, actually expressions and body language.
0: It's, it's really interesting that we've both actually just come up with feedback that, that gives extrinsic reward. So I got, yeah, praise because I'm funny and Gemma got her, yes, you're doing really well, the NOS. Um, and we, we sort of frown upon all that in the book but it's an important fact that extrinsic reward is is can be very effective and very powerful just as the intrinsic that we try to develop in our children
1: yeah absolutely. Um,
2: i
0: think sometimes that can
2: go that way to creating that intrinsic motivation can't it just by a little bit of that reassurance or somebody just kind of making you think a certain way or question something it can then spark onto the, the next level so yeah interesting one
1: and as we start start to wind down now, it'd be interesting to kind of know what values you hold for yourselves in leadership or what you value in leadership. So as to both of you. For me,
2: one of the things I value in leadership is transparency and that that honest and openness really. I think it's something that if somebody is so kind of straight with me, I quite appreciate that. I prefer people just to say, like, this is what I think. Or, or this is, um, could you help me with this? Or can I have a bit of support with this? And I think that, yeah, being transparent, being honest and open about everything, even if it necessarily isn't something someone wants to hear, that's something that I've I've always really, really appreciated. And I think as a leader, I, I like to, I think something for me as well is, like we talked about collaboration, but supporting each other as well, feeling like you've got that, that culture where everybody feels support, that open door policy, knowing that people can come to you if they need to, to seek help, because that's quite a big thing. It's not just about asking someone for help and asking someone to collaborate with you but actually feeling comfortable enough to do that and that's something that as a leader you know knowing people can come to me and ask questions and there is no silly question that kind of culture is something that I feel is quite important because I know for myself going to seek support from other people is something I find quite hard to do not because I don't like collaborating because I love that I love working with people on projects and working together to, to put our ideas together but thinking like oh I'm a bit worried if I go and ask them they'll be they're very very busy at the moment I don't really want to impinge on their time and they could be doing this and that and so all those sort of questions but I would like to be somebody who people feel they are comfortable enough to come and ask for help and that I'm always happy to help you know whenever I can so so that's something that I think I value quite a lot in leadership
0: I think for me I keep coming back to the same sort of words but it's it's things like high expectation is a key thing for me that you have self belief and you have that passion, but you also, you recognize it in yourself. You recognize that, yeah, I'm really passionate about this and I have the belief that I can achieve. But you also, as a leader, you inspire others and you you help them to recognize their their passions and to, to achieve what they want to achieve, achieve. I think ownership is another one. Ownership, not just of children owning their own learning, but owning... Giving ownership to others as a leader, letting other others in the team take ownership of things. Like I said earlier, that I was so worried that I had to be this perfect leader and I had to get it all right and prove myself. But when you recognize that you are a collaborative team and everyone's got different things to offer and in a supportive way, you can give ownership to things to people. I found that hard at the beginning, you know, of in my early days as a leader to say, right, you take that. You deal with that and not to want to be involved and to oversee it and take control of it. So ownership is, as a leader, it's one of the important values for me, I think. And em- embrace, embrace those followers, embrace those people who are following, but let them have ownership of of the projects they're working on. Mm. And that's that can be quite hard at the beginning. Mm.
1: Again, that comes down to the trust, doesn't it? Really? And trust yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, other than your own book, what other resources would you recommend to new or aspiring leaders in order to kind of consider their mindset or develop their own mindset?
0: I, I mentioned Simon. Everyone knows about Simon Sinek anyway, but I can't get enough of the guy. <laughs> He's very addictive to watch. um So, definitely, yeah, yeah, watch a few few TED talks or Simon Sinek interviews on YouTube. Mm-hmm. In terms of leadership, lessons from a dancing guy, it's worth seeing just because it brings it home. What leadership is about, it's about followers, not the leader. Other resources, I've got cupboards full of books that I'm clearing out at the moment. Principled headship, um, the seven effective leadership, whatever. You know, there's always 10 or seven of this and (laughs) all these different rules and bullet points you should follow to be the perfect leader, but... Really, the the biggest resource is the people around you. I would say your teams—they are your resources. You um and watch them and and listen to them. Like Gemma was saying, when people are uh, carrying out activities, like call them together. What what's happening? How are you getting on with that? Do we need to change it? As a leader, the biggest resource for you is your is your team and feedback from them. I would say you can you can have your ten easy ways to be the perfect leader, but. <laughs> number one has to be listen to your people around you
2: yeah. especially like you know your teachers are the experts they're the ones that working with the children yeah they have a lot to give don't they and having that honest and open culture where they feel they can contribute is, is really really important that they, they are the excellent resource really that you've got to handle all the time
1: fantastic thank you both and as we end now we have the free deep dive statements So we're going to do them one at a time. So there's actually six because they're free for each of you. So we're going to start off with Leslie and then I'll go to you, Gemma, with the next one and then we'll just play tennis, okay? So all you need to do is finish the statement. So, Leslie, leadership is a privilege because... Because you can inspire others to be privileged leaders. Wonderful. Recently I have realised...
2: That... I need to see difficult problems, not as failing, but as learning. And that's something I read in Carol Dweck's work when I was looking at growth mindset. It's something that you come across and you're aware of, but I think I definitely need to take it on board and thrive upon challenges a bit more myself.
1: Mm. Creating a culture is key
0: to everything. Creating the right culture as a leader, a trust trusting culture, a culture of collaboration, a culture of giving a culture of kindness a culture of learning and development i mean it's huge it's huge it's a big one that. Mm. It's, it's key creating the right culture is key education needs
2: to be seen as a learning journey i think again moving away from those fixed ideas of education as intelligence it's about curiosity it's about asking questions and i think it needs to give Pupils the opportunity to be involved in their own learning. We talk a lot in the book about metacognition, self regulation, but children the opportunity to ask their own questions and to, to seek what they actually find interesting, to find the answers out for, them, for themselves and find the solutions.
1: Writing the book it was
0: one of the most exciting things <laughs> I've ever done, and
1: I need to do more. Of. And my voice is important because
2: because. I think having been on this learning journey, especially the fast feedback journey, my voice is important. This is quite a tricky one for me actually, but realizing that my voice is important because I've experienced it. I've been on that journey. We've spoken about the successes, spoken about the failures. And I now have the the platform really to help support others on their own no-marking journey. And that's why it's important to make
1: a difference to teachers and pupils across the country. Wonderful. Great responses. And I'm going to give you each a question now. So I'll start with you. It's random, remember. So this one's for you, Leslie. If you could read one book for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
0: That is a very, very difficult question. There are so many books that I love (laughs) that turning down other books seems rude. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to need more time to think about that. I think... uh, The nature of me is I do actually love change and I love variety and I love lots of different things and I'm constantly chopping and changing between theories and that because I've heard something new. So I don't actually think I can answer that question, Kathleen. Sorry, because I couldn't read just one book for the rest of my life. I'd have to have lots of different books because there's
1: so much exciting stuff out there. Mm, Sorry. That's a good answer. Good answer. Shows that you're open. All right, your question then. What would you rather be, an expert at one thing or really good at many things?
2: Oh, that's a very good question. I would rather be very good at many things. I think it's, you know, it's important to be knowledgeable in something you really enjoy but I think for me, a bit like Leslie, I enjoy variety. I, I like learning about lots of new things. I liked the fact when we did, wrote the book, I liked delving into growth mindset, looking at metacognition, looking at questioning, all those different areas of education. I think just to focus on one and to be an expert in it, I would find a little bit dull at times. So I think for me, I like to be motivated by lots of different things. Variety is key. And I think if you're interested in something, then you can get better and better at it. And obviously with a bit of growth mindset in there as well, that I think, you know, trying new things, exploring different challenges, and then you can improve and improve and get better and better. So yeah, varieties for me.
1: And there we have it. So let's end on that statement there. Fantastic. What a great, powerful uh, message to end on. Thank you both so much for your time.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for
1: having us. It's a privilege.
0: Thank you, Kathleen.
1: And so here we are conversation with Leslie and Gemma really highlighted just why it's important to collaborate, to trust in yourself, and also to take those risks as you go into leadership. Thank you to Leslie and Gemma for that last episode, which has really rounded up this fantastic mini-series all about your mindset and proven why it really does matter. I hope this has kicked off your new year and it's really enabled you to gain some insight into the things that are required in order to step into leadership confidently, being able to collaborate, and also with the confidence that you have inside, knowing that you have the skills to do what you can do. Leadership is about service. Leadership is about purpose. Leadership is about knowing yourself. I hope that you found all of the guests insightful and can take away, even if it's just one thing, I hope that you can put into action this year. Your mindset matters. And as always, go back and listen, because I'm sure there's some things that you've missed.